He said that, here are some of the things. He said in, in chapter 1, he said that we are saints, we are chosen, we are loved, we are adopted, we are called with a purpose, we are given access to every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. That sounds pretty good. In fact, we've, co- we've encountered this word, the heavenly realms, three times already in the first three chapters of Ephesians. One in each chapter one, chapter two, and chapter three. We encountered this phrase, the heavenly realms. What is that all about? In, in the first chapter, it said that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. The second chapter, it said we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. And the third chapter said that you and I um, get to declare the wisdom of God to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. That sounds pretty important. And uh, the reality is, this, what is this heavenly realms about? The reality is you and I are part of two different realities at the same time. That's why the Christian life can be a little confusing sometimes. You ever find that? Right? We live in this world. And you're a citizen of Bathurst or wherever community you live. But you are also a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And as we're learning on Sunday nights at our, at our end times study that we're doing, uh, week number five tonight, by the way, um, as we're learning there, we're living in a time in history where two realities are overlapping. When Jesus came 2,000 years ago, he established the kingdom of God on earth. And, and so we're living in the age of Adam and the age of Christ. We're living in this world and the beginning of the next world. But the reality is that you and I are seated in authority and we get to partner with God in bringing that heavenly reality into our earthly space. That's really important. We are not just putting in time till Jesus comes back. We are partnering with God, with Jesus our King, to see the kingdom of heaven increase and become established in our space and time. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Ah. I got preaching something not in my message in my notes and I'm getting this off track here. I got to get back on track. Getting excited. Okay, well let's let's read just uh, we've just got a couple verses here um, that we want to look at this morning. And uh, it's the I I'm going to do something that that maybe in your Bible reading you don't often do and sometimes sometimes we lose out when we don't do this, I'm, I'm going to read the end of one, ver, uh, one chapter and the beginning of another chapter. 
Oh. Because I don't know if you know this, but when Paul wrote this, he didn't put chapter numbers and verse numbers in there. That was all added later, right? It's just one long letter. So, so it might mess with our heads a bit to read the end of one, one chapter and the beginning of another, but sometimes it helps us, and I, I think today it does. Okay? So live up to who you are is our message title today. Live up to who you are. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So, we heard in chapter 3, where it talked about the love of God. Remember, um, two weeks ago, we, we did, we dove into that passage that talked about, um, you know, that, that you would be, that you who are rooted and grounded in love would have power together with all the saints to understand how high and how wide and how deep and how long um, the love of Christ is, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you might be filled to all the fullness of God. Right? So, so the passage told us that God's love is immeasurable. Folks, His love for you today, you cannot understand it. You cannot measure it except to look upon the crucified Christ and see there the immensity of the love of God that he would come to this earth and die in your place. It's the only way we can begin to understand the magnitude of the love of God for us. Incredible. That God's love is immeasurable. And then we read in the passage that we read today, it said that um, he is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. So his ability is immeasurable. His love is immeasurable. His ability is immeasurable. So we might begin to think that if God loves me that much and God is so powerful, doesn't it stand to reason I should get everything I want? Right? His love is immeasurable. His ability is immeasurable. I should just get everything I want. Well, if you were to treat your kids that way, it would destroy their lives. We see all kinds of child, um, 
child celebrities whose lives have been absolutely wrecked and destroyed because they got everything they wanted. But, but the, the prosperity gospel group, now we believe in the prosperity that God wants for us. We believe in that. But there's an there's a imbalance in some camps that talk about this, this idea that God wants to give you everything you want. And it's messed up. Now, I'm not going to go after that a whole lot this, this morning, but just to say that, that, that that's not what this is talking about. It's not talking about that we should get everything I want. It's not, God, I want a Ferrari, and tomorrow it's in my driveway. Right? God, I want a Ducati. And it's in my driveway. That's a motorcycle for those who don't know. But. And it's in my, my driveway the next day. Um... But no, there's a problem when your love for the gift eclipses your love for the giver. Right? So notice, notice this verse actually says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, according to his power, that is at work in us. I want to suggest to you this morning that God's power is unleashed on your life to work in you more than around you. He cares about what goes on inside of your life more than He cares about the furniture in your life. In other words, he cares more about your holiness than he does about your happiness. And if we have to go sometimes through challenging, difficult seasons because of what God needs to work on the inside of us, then we need to do something that the Bible calls persevere. We need to trust we need to press in. We need to lean in. We need to know He's going to get us through this, whatever this is, and out the other side. And we are going to be strengthened and built up and equipped on the inside as we walk through this season. His power is unleashed to work in you more than to work around you. Not that God doesn't have a hand in what's happening around you, but He cares less about your circumstantial happiness than He does about your transformation into the image of Jesus. This means that sometimes when some situation is flying out of control, out of your control, that is, when some situation is flying out of control, 
And you say, God, you're supposed to be powerful. Why aren't you fixing this? He may say back to you, I'm fixing you. And that's more important right now. It's always better rather than to ask why me to ask God what are you doing right now? What are you doing right now? I know you haven't taken a vacation. I know you haven't left me alone. You promised to never leave me or for I know you're here. So what are you doing right now? So I can partner with you. We can get this thing done and get through this season as fast as possible. Right? Does that sound good? All right. After Jesus, there may be no one who understands this what we're talking about today, more than Paul, who's writing this letter. Um, you may want to say, Pastor, this, this isn't what I want to hear. I want to hear that God's going to make my life easier. He's going to make my life simpler. He's going to make it all smoother. And I won't have any trouble for the rest of my life. Anybody would like to hear that? Yeah, I think we all would like to hear that. It's not true, but sounds nice, right? God never promised that. He promised, he promised, though, to make your life matter. He promised to make your life matter for now and for eternity. He is at work in you to make your life matter. Matter, not to make it smoother, but to make it matter. Try telling Paul, who writes here in our verse today, to remind us that he is a prisoner for the Lord, that God is supposed to make our life smoother. He's writing a letter, maybe on stolen toilet paper, I don't know. He's writing on, he's sitting in a jail cell writing a letter to a church. And he knows that God is good in every situation. He knows that God isn't there to just make his life smooth, but to make his life matter. Paul sitting in prison, when he surrendered his life to Jesus, life didn't get any easier for him. When he left his position and prestige as a Jewish teacher, as a rabbi, his life didn't get any easier. But it became so much more meaningful. Even his suffering. Because he knew that he was part of the plan of God to bring the hope of Christ to the world. 
and to start communities of hope in cities all around the world. Paul had an influence like no one other than Jesus in the early church. And it's because he got it that his life was meant to be lived sacrificially. It was meant to be lived for a purpose. And so Paul here is going to urge and challenge the Ephesian Christians and the Bathurstian Christians. I don't know how we say that. Anybody know how we say that? Bathurstites? We'll say Bathurstian. I don't know. The Bathurstian, you and I, the Bathurstian Christians, to live a sacrificial life for Christ and His cause. How dare He ask me to sacrifice? How dare He ask me to live a life that is going to cost me something? Well, He dared because He Himself had paid a great price and knew it was worth it to live His life for Christ in his cause. Second Corinthians 11. He's writing about these people who are claiming to be super apostles and, and, and putting, putting down the, the accomplishments of, of Paul. And, and he says, are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I served him far more. I have worked harder. I've been, input, I've been put in prison more often. I've been whipped times without number and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me the 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, the old-fashioned kind. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I've faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I've faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I've faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I've faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I've worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without even enough clothing to keep warm. Paul speaks of the challenges that he's faced, but he counts them all worth. A life lived full out for Jesus. in an even greater way. So Paul has a right to challenge us and call us to live a life worthy of our calling because he is paying a great price to do just that. But in a greater way, Jesus has earned the right to ask total obedience because he lived a life 
of great sacrifice and total obedience because He suffered as one of us and because of that became our merciful high priest. What does that mean? I want to read you the verse where that comes from in Hebrews chapter 2. For this reason, He, Jesus, for this reason, He had to be made like them, meaning like humans, like us. He, the Son of God, had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that He might make atonement for the sins of the people, because He Himself suffered when He was tempted, He is able to help those who are being tempted. There is not one of us that can say, Jesus doesn't understand what I'm going through. I don't care what it is. If it's physical, He endured it. If it's spiritual torment, He endured it. If it's emotional anguish, He endured it. If it's the betrayal of those that you thought loved you, He endured it. It doesn't matter what you're facing today. Jesus became one of us and endured everything that we endure so that He could win where we failed and He could become a faithful high priest one who connects us to the Father and understands what we're going through. And Jesus who understands. Jesus who loves us with an immeasurable love. Jesus who was committed to the point of death and back again. calls us to a life of surrender and obedience because it's the only life of freedom. It's the only life of hope. And so Paul says, basically, don't live beneath your station. As a prisoner for the Lord then, Paul says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. What is that calling? What have we learned from Ephesians that is that calling? You are a son, a daughter of the Most High King. You are a son, a daughter of your Father in heaven. There is an expectation that a prince or a princess, even in the natural world, earthly kings, queens, princes, and princesses, there is an expectation 
that a prince or a princess would live with wisdom and dignity. They would not throw their lives away on cheap thrills or momentary pleasures because there's a kingdom that's at stake. The world is at their fingertips. Why waste it all on scandal and selfish gain? These things are beneath a prince and a princess, and they are beneath a son and a daughter of the Most High. Anger, rage, complaining, grumbling, fear, political fighting, judgment, hatred, drunkenness, Sexual immorality, gambling, gossip, divisions, lying, stealing, despair, disloyalty to Christ. These things are all beneath us as sons and daughters of the King. Why would we throw all that we have away? Like Esau for a bowl of stew. Right? He threw away his birthright, his inheritance, his blessing. He threw it all away for one bowl of chili. Now, I like chili as much as the next guy or gal. But it's not worth throwing your inheritance away for. And we may be attracted or distracted by the thrills and the things of this world, but they are not worth throwing away your inheritance, folks. You're better than that. We are better than that. And Paul says, because of all these things that we've learned already from the book of Ephesians, all these things that we've learned about our identity and who we are in Christ, Therefore, let us live lives worthy, worthy of our station. So what does it look like to live as a child of the King in this current world? I mean, we, what a mess, right? What a mess. What does it look like to live as a child of the king in our current world? Well, first of all, I think we need to live lives surrendered to King Jesus and his mission. That needs to be more important than any other little mission that we might want to be a part of in this world. Any other agenda, any other plan is at least secondary, if not 50th dairy, if that's a word, I don't know, to, to the mission of Christ in this world. That has to be first. How do we live in this mess? Keep your eyes on Jesus and what He's doing in this world right now. 
Stay focused on King Jesus and don't let the distractions of this world pull you off course. Does it matter who is king in the United who is king? Who is president in the United States of America? Maybe. But God knows what he's doing. Does it matter if there's some conspiracy using COVID to bring about some global social agenda? Maybe. But folks, God knows what he's doing. Does it matter if we go back to orange or even red phase in our province over Christmas? Maybe. And I'll hate it as much as the rest of you, but God knows what He's doing, folks. These things that are happening around us are not happening in a vacuum. And again, I'll plug We've got two more sessions of our, um, of our end times study that we're doing on Sunday nights. Just throw it out there. But, but these things that are happening around us right now are not happening in a vacuum. They're not just random events, unconnected, that are happening. But God is taking all of this Everything that's happening on planet earth right now, God is taking human history to a planned conclusion. It's not happening in a vacuum. God has not lost the steering wheel. He's not lost control. He is taking this all to a planned conclusion. Jesus is coming back. I don't know when, but I know He's coming back. And all of this, every day we are getting one step closer to His return. And we can trust Him to work it out. And none of it should throw us off track. Because as sons and daughters of the King, we know that the King is taking us somewhere. He's a good King. And He's taking us to a purposeful conclusion to history. And you are going to be just fine. No matter what mess breaks loose in our world, you are going to be just fine. Even if you die for your faith in Christ, you are going to be just fine. Because your Papa, King Jesus, has His hand on the steering wheel and He is in control. And so, Paul writes to us from prison, having every right by virtue of his own suffering to call us higher, to call us to live a life worthy of our calling as sons and daughters of the King. A life of humility. You don't have all the answers and neither do I. So trust Jesus. Jesus.
life of humility, a life of trust, and a life, as we've learned Sunday night, of leaning forward. Leaning forward. As followers of Christ, we are forward-leaning people. This is all going somewhere. We have our We have expectation that Jesus is taking us to the finish line and we are leaning forward. Let's stand. This week, those of you who are in connect groups that are are following our sermon material, we're going to be... we're going to be jumping into Philippians chapter 2. I can't wait till our connect group tomorrow night because it's going to be good. I hope you can't wait either because this is this passage, wow, is powerful. And it's going to help us understand some more about what we're talking about today, how we live it out 